Yes, Lord, we thank you for your word and that it's true and that you're coming soon. And we pray that you would just speak to us and minister to minister it to us tonight as only you can by your spirit. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we will be picking back up in Proverbs. And we'll be in chapter, let's see how far. I know we get stopped at 11.23, but I don't know if that's the end of the chapter. Nope, it's not. So we'll be picking up in chapter 11 of Proverbs, verse 24. Remember, as we study through Proverbs, it's the study of wisdom. It's not just knowing the right thing. You know, you can know a lot of right things and put the right answer on the test. But to do the right thing and to know what the right thing is and how to do it, that's what wisdom is. And we remember that Solomon wrote a lot of it. Solomon, the son of David, the king. Uh, but that this is really for us, that although the Bible is thousands of years old, wisdom is timeless. Wisdom is the same, just like God, yesterday, today, and forever. And whether that wisdom applies to how you herd sheep or how you sell cars, it's still wisdom. It doesn't matter the context. Um, and I think we, we could have a lot to learn from people of the old days. Sometimes we think we're so advanced and we know everything, uh, and we really don't. We don't know anything. Uh, but thankfully, we don't have to know everything. The Bible will give us answers for everything we have. So let's pick it up in Proverbs 11, verse 24. It says, there is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. The people will curse him who withholds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. You know, that in this life there are people who will uh, hang on to things really tight, and there are people who will not hang on to things really tight. There are people who are very generous with what they have and give everybody something. And there are people who don't. And this verse reminds me of the words of the Lord when he said, uh, He who wants to keep his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will gain it. Because sometimes, man, he says the second part of verse 24, There's one who withholds more than is right but it leads to poverty. That doesn't mean that you have to give everything away. It doesn't mean that being rich is wrong. What it means is that, man, sometimes there's a right thing to share that we should share. If we've been given, if it's been given to us freely, we should freely give, as the Bible says. Now, we should share, and we should give, and we should help our neighbors, right? We should do good to those around us. But when we begin to hold and hold on more and hold on so tight, uh, it can lead to poverty. One, sometimes riches flee, the Bible says. The other thing, like with the, the unjust servants that Jesus talked about, uh, the one who buried his in the ground, it was taken away from him, right? That we need to, uh, to, do, to do good with what's been given to us. And when we get to be selfish, and when we're so selfish, all we think about is ourselves, it really leads us to be poor. You know, you won't have any friends. You wouldn't have people to watch out for you. You lose your stuff. People will remember how selfish you were and they won't want to give to you. But another thing I've, I've learned and I've seen through life is that generally the people, and this is a general statement, so it's hard. You can't apply it to everybody. 
But the people who are most generous, a lot of times are the people who have the least. People who are poor tend to actually give more to church, tend to give more to charity than the people who are rich. Yeah, the rich guy might have given a million dollars, but it's not worth as much to him. Like when Jesus had the widow with two mites, she gave her all, he said. Um, there's people who are poor, always ha invite you over for lunch or dinner or give you a dollar or take care of you if you need it or let you borrow their things. A lot of times people who are rich won't let you borrow, won't let you do things. And a generous soul will be made rich. Say, so, yeah, you might lose what you have. You might lose that $5. But giving that $5 to somebody who needs it and actually needs it, your soul feels a lot better. You're a lot happier. You, in a sense, bought more joy than that $5 could ever buy at the dollar store, especially nowadays with inflation. The people will curse him who holds grain, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. Remember Joseph? What was Joseph's wisdom? It was how to take care of the grain, how to handle their plenty, how to save up and not overspend it, that they had it when it was in time of need. And, it got, and God gave him great favor with that. Verse 27, he who earnestly seeks good finds favor, but trouble will come to him who seeks evil. You go after evil, well, evil's going to come after you. You seek after good, well, evil might come after you, but in the end, you're going to get favor. You seek to do the right thing, you seek to do the good thing, people are going to like that. Like Jacob was talking to me earlier in the car ride home, when we were talking about Miss Tammy, and how she's so nice. And, she, and how she says that uh, our kids are so good and so kind. And I said, well, of course she likes you. You guys are friendly. You guys are respectful. You guys talk to her. You guys are nice to her. Why wouldn't she like you, right? And it's the same thing in life. Like, if you're nice to people, your people will find any reason in life to hate us, to be mean. Some people are just mean. But if you're nice and you're kind, like the Bible says, he who desires friends must he himself be friendly? So if you're friendly with people, just like we like friendly people, they're going to like you. So if you seek after those good things, you're going to get favor. He who trusted his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. That, man, we can't trust in the things of this world. We can't trust in our riches. People will steal it. The government will devalue it. Um, something else will become popular and won't be worth anything anymore. Like my Lego collection, when all the people my age get too old to buy Lego, I don't know how many people are going to want them anymore, at least the ones that I have. But I can't trust in those riches. I can't trust, oh, there's money in the bank. Well, the banks are failing. Oh, well, I've got a house. Oh, well, the bank might take it from me one day. Oh, I've got a job. I've got all this money. Well, maybe I'll lose my job one day. I can't trust in those things. There's only one thing that's faithful that I can trust in, and that's the Lord. And the Lord reminded me of when... Uh, before in worship when we got mommy's truck when i was looking for a van for her and was about to get one and then god provided the truck that we have now for her and it's lasted us eight years many miles across the country if i got a minivan i wouldn't have been able to tow the trailer to montana with it god knew what we needed god knew that he just blessed us with it and i, I I know that he's going to bless us again. It's not going to be in the same exact way, I don't think. But you never know. God's, God knows our needs, like that song says. And so if we trust in him, even if our riches fail, we'll be all right. 
He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. If the righteous will be recompensed on earth, how much more the godly than the sinner. Let me just go back. There was a verse I wanted to touch on that I didn't. He who waters will also be watered himself in verse 25. They, this verse is used a lot of times in teaching and in preaching and in just sharing the gospel with other people because the Bible is the water of God's word. Right? It washes us, it cleanses us. And when we use it to water others, sometimes we feel dry. Sometimes we are tired. Sometimes we don't want to. But when we allow God to minister to others through us, Sometimes even before we've been ministered to ourselves, it waters us. It's pouring someone else to drink first sometimes before taking it yourself. And not that you could do that all the time. You need to have time with the Lord. But when it comes to the things of God, it's better to give than to receive, especially. that when we give out the word of God, it's a blessing. As, as I teach the word to you guys, it's a blessing. I love that you hear it. I hope that it's somewhat good. I hope that the Lord uses it and pray that God would speak through me and through his word and that you'd remember it and that it would go in your heart. But I get watered by it. I am blessed by the opportunity to share and to share with you guys especially. But he who troubles his own house will inherit the wind that you can go out in the world and cause all sorts of trouble and have all sorts of problems, your cause or other people's cause. But at least when you come home at night, it's quiet, it's safe, it's your own space. But when you start causing trouble at home, you got no place to rest. You got no place to hide. You <laughs> throw a fit and destroy your room. Well, now your room's a mess, all your stuff's broken, right? You start causing fights in your house, so you can't even escape in your house from the fights and from whatever else is going on, right? And so a lot of people in this world, right? They cause all this trouble and then their marriage falls apart or their family falls apart. And they should just not cause the trouble to begin with because they end up inheriting the wind. They, run, they end up out on the street. Now they have nothing. And the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. God bless you. And we want to be wise in our hearts. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he who in souls is wise. If there's nothing wiser in this world than winning souls, there's nothing, even just from a practical standpoint, spiritually, to do with your life than to try and win souls, to share the gospel, to minister to people, to share your testimony, to evangelize, to give money to ministries, because that's the wisest thing you do. When you get to heaven, what's the thing that's going to be most valuable there? Well, people. And so if you're wise, you're going to want people to be there. You're going to want to have to get to heaven and have God say that you did a good job. Sure, he's going to care about how well you took care of your stuff, how kind you were to others. These can all be used, right? There's, you want to make a friend? Loan him something that you have. Let him borrow a toy. Let him borrow a tool. Bring him some cookies that you made. And you can make friends with the things you have. And that's a wise thing to do with the things you have. But it's more important to use the things you have to win souls. Because when you get to heaven, it doesn't matter how much money you had. It doesn't matter how great you were at your job. Now, if those things can be in service to the kingdom, 
you were great at your job and other people thought, wow, like they, they had a high value of God through your work ethic, through your workability, through your attitude at work. Well, then that's good. But at the end of the day, when you come to die one day or come to stand before Jesus, are you really going to care if you were the most famous baseball player ever? The number one karate person in North America? Or is it going to matter that you won souls? And I'm sure I've said it before and I'll say it again because these simple things are the things I cling to. But I think about guys like in the movie Schindler's List. He was a German and he owned a factory and he began to help free the Jews and pay for the Jews. And then when the war was over and when uh, he was fleeing, he looked around and he saw that he still had a car and he still had an expensive piece of jewelry and he still had other things. He said, oh, if I could have just sold this and sold that, I could have freed a couple more people. I could have bought a couple more people. It didn't matter to him anymore. The things that mattered to him the whole time didn't matter anymore. And I hope and I pray that we get to the end of our lives. We don't go, if I had only not wasted my time on this or spent my time on that, I could have been doing this with my life. Not that God won't call you to do things in life like have a job or go to school or have a family or go on vacation or things like that. But maybe he has something better. Maybe instead of vacations for the rest of our life, we go on missions trips. I don't know. Would it be worth it? I can tell you my Bahamas missions trips with the youth group were very much vacations. Were some of the best vacations I ever had. Yeah, we went to Atlantis and we did fun things on the beach, but that was in our free time. That was in our downtime from doing ministry of taking care of people and reaching out to kids and helping fix things at a camp. And it was fantastic. Chapter 12, verse 1. I think the point of this is the point of Proverbs and wisdom is to put the right value on the right things. That everything in life, to some degree, has a value, whether it's a good value or a bad value. And are we putting the right things in the right place? Does Jesus have his right place in our heart? Because if he does, all these other things will fall into place. You'll be able to go on vacation, go bowling, go see a movie. And it's just as glorifying to Jesus, in fact, more than someone who is doing a good work without him. Verse 12, uh, chapter 12 says, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. Hopefully the microphone is picking this stuff up. But he who hates correction is stupid. The Bible just called a bunch of people stupid. I don't like being called stupid to begin with. I don't like feeling stupid. And I certainly don't want the Bible to call me stupid. That's not the group of people I want to fall in with. The Bible says that whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. That if you love to learn, you love to know things. And if you love to know things, you're going to love to learn. And the context here, he who hates correction is stupid. That if you don't like being corrected... I mean, none of us really do, but if you don't allow yourself to be corrected, if you don't allow yourself to, to hear words that are hard, hey, that answer is wrong. Hey, you're not doing that right. Hey, you shouldn't have said that, whether it's from the word of God, your parents, your friends, your spouse, your coworkers. You know, I got my review coming up, and sometimes that's the toughest thing 
hearing things that are not going good or things that you thought were good or not good. But to hear that correction is good and to be smart and to take that correction and correct yourself is the right way to go. If you put two plus two equals five on your math book and got the wrong answer on the test, next time be corrected and write two plus two equals four and get a better grade next time. But the world doesn't like that these days. The world does not like to be corrected. The world hates people who correct people these days and in fact will call you out if you're trying to tell them the truth. They would rather be incorrect in their lie, in their falsehood, in their obviously wrong lifestyle and thing that they're doing than to be corrected. I think about, we were watching that worship video and seeing this group of young people and how happy they looked and how many of them had like rings on their fingers like they were engaged or married or other things. And you look at the world, you don't, similar sized crowd, you wouldn't see a lot of that. You'd see people who are broken, who are sad because they don't want to be corrected. So let's love correction. In, the, in Timothy, it says the Bible is good for correction and for reproof. Reproof for those hard corrections like, hey, you're going the wrong way. It's kind of like a spiritual spanking, a mental spanking, and we need those. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of wicked intentions God will condemn. I mean, who doesn't want good favor? Noah was good in the sight of God, because he, not because he was perfect, but because he trusted God, right? And how much favor came upon Noah's life? He was saved from the flood. His family survived. They repopulated the earth. And God loved him. And I don't think God loved Noah because he was good. I think God, I think Noah was good because he knew God loved him. A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. You know, like Psalm says that the person who is planted by the trees of water, right? The righteous person is right there. We want to have deep roots. They're, we want our roots in God to go down. We want our faith to be deep and true and tried and tested and healthy and fed and watered. You know, we had to cut this tree down outside because it died. It was still there. It was still standing. But whatever its roots were doing, its roots weren't getting enough water. Its roots weren't getting enough sustenance from the soil. And it probably got diseased and died. And I don't know how much we could have done for it. But, you know, they probably got to water it and stuff. And I don't, know, I don't think it would have had any hope. But let that not be us. We need to, and the way we do that spiritually is we let our roots go down to the Word. We spend time in the Bible. It doesn't have to be a lot of time. But re that's why we read it every day. That's why we pray at meals. Not necessarily because the food needs to be prayed for, but it's an excuse and a reminder to spend time with God at those times. I don't know that you're sinning if you don't pray before a meal, but Jesus did, and so we should. But our roots need to go down deep. Spend time in worship. Drink the word. Have fellowship. Have evangelism. Because we don't want to be moved. Storms come in life. Strong winds come in life. Hard times come. And you don't want to be moved. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. I'm waiting for my wife to come highlight this. But he, she who causes shame is like rottenness in the bones. Man, 
No one likes to be shamed. You know, the Bible says that a man and woman get married, they become one person. If I went to mommy with Walmart and she was walking around looking homeless with ripped clothes and tattered hair and a dirty face, people might think it was a shame on her, but really it would be a shame on me because I wasn't taking care of her. But at the same time, if I tried everything I could to get her to look good and she did it, well, it would be kind of embarrassing. And a good wife is the crown of her husband, an excellent wife. And man, the, we look at marriage in these ways of the man over the husband, but when the wife is doing everything to be godly, she becomes a crown on his head. It's like you can have a real dumb king, a real foolish king, but he's got a real nice crown on his head, right? That it gives him glory. It gives him honor. And that's the way we should be for the Lord, too. We should be a crown for him. Like those videos with Wrangler Star, right? Where he's showing off his wife, where she's making him a meal or doing something. Not because he's commanded her to, but because she loves him and wants to serve him and the family and serve God in doing that. And there's something special about a woman who's content and fulfilling all of those roles. Who's not that loud, brash woman we read several chapters before that tricked people and hurt people and her guests and her door led down to death. It's like rottenness in your bones. Think about people who have had to get divorces or their wives. We're not following that. We're not following the Lord. And just think about rottenness in your bones. It'd be hard to walk. Oh, I got to go through life again. I got to wake up again and deal with this again. I can't go do these things because my wife won't let me or she's causing problems. Same thing for a husband, vice versa. But the thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of wicked are deceitful. Again, remember we talked about getting the right counsel from the right people. That when wicked people give you advice, it's deceitful. Again, talk about marriage. Talk about people who get share the deep things of their marriage with people who are not right. They get bad advice. Do what's best for you. Do what's right for you. It destroys their family. It destroys their soul. It hurts their children. It ruins opportunity for reconciliation. Nobody wants to be deceived, and that's the worst thing. You go in expecting to trust somebody and get advice for them, but they're wicked, and they deceive you because they themselves are deceived. The words of the wicked are lie and wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. That the wicked, like we've read in earlier chapters, are always hiding, always lurking, always looking for that opportunity to get one over on you, just like when you guys play jokes on each other and try and scare each other or startle each other. That's what the wicked do. They're looking for a way to get one over on you, to get you to buy something or do something or steal something for you. That's the way the internet is to try and trick people to give up a password or to give them a code or click a link that they shouldn't click so they can get control of their computer and their identity and all sorts of things. They want to sneak around. But the mouth of the upright will deliver them. You speak the truth in life, it'll get you out of a lot of, a lot of bad circumstances. 
The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Just again, we could look through all Proverbs, and there's a clear difference between the righteous and the wicked. There's a clear difference between those who do the good thing and the bad thing. The talk of Jesus' parables about the man who built his house on the rock and on the sand. We talked about it. There's a clear difference. When you look at the way the world does things, you look at the way someone who's trying to follow God does things. A lot of them are very different, especially nowadays. And you see the difference. You see the joy, the peace, the contentment in a godly person's life. And you see this constant clamoring and trouble in a person's life who's not following God. And you see that they really are just seeking peace in all that they do. But they won't find it. A man will be commended according to his wisdom, but he who is of a perverse heart will be despised. Again, do the right thing. It'll come back to you in a good ways. And if you're, you know, there's other, even in prison, there's even a moral code within prison among prisoners that these men will do wicked, awful things. But when someone comes in who's hurt a child, who's done awful things to a child, a lot of times these prisoners who are wicked, awful people, have done awful things, will go, you do that to a kid? And they murder them. And they, do, they hurt them as bad as they possibly can. Because they're like, how could you do that to a kid? That even someone who's as perverse enough to hurt a child, that even the most wicked people on earth know that it's wrong. And unfortunately in our world today, there's a lot of criminals in jail who have a better sense of morality than the soccer mom who doesn't have Jesus, who's forcing their child to be go under all, all sorts of awful things. I was thinking about that the other night at dinner, and just how could someone do that? I was looking at my kids and thinking, how could someone do that to their children? How could they have a conversation like that and lead them to do that? And how it really is the parents just forcing it on them, and the government and the schools and perverse people are putting them on them, and they should be despised for it. Now, they can repent and they can turn. I pray they do, but perverseness should be despised. Better is the one who is slighted but has a servant than he who honors himself but lacks bread. A lot of people pretend they're rich, but they don't have any money. They walk around like they've got everything, but they don't have everything. And the person who may have lost on a business deal or got made fun of or something happened when they go home and They've got someone who serves them. They've got, a, they've got an employee. They're better off than the person who trots around. This reminds me of my mom used to work at a luxury car dealership. Uh, I think she was a secretary. And she said, you'd be surprised at the people who come in and pay for cars in cash. You would not think that this person had a dime to their name. They come in in sweatpants and t-shirt and a hat. And they come in and just buy a car outright. And while all these other people would come in, and they would wear their fancy clothes and their jewelry, and have to sign a loan <laughs> to get a car. Probably because they spent all their money on their jewelry. And the, and the appearance of looking rich. You watch certain cultures and music videos. And it's all about wearing all this expensive stuff on you. But it's fleeting. A righteous man regards the life of his animal. But the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. That You know, a good person is going to care for their animals doesn't mean that you treat the animals better than people, but, you know, we have chickens to give us eggs. We have bunnies. 
and we want to care for our animals. We don't want them to be hurt. We don't want them to be cold. We don't want them to be eaten. You know, and the, something happened with the bunnies or other things. I want to make sure that they're warm. Am I an animal person? Not really, but I care for them. And they say, there's, you can kind of tell when someone's going the wrong path, when they're a child and they're abusing an animal and hurting an animal, a lot of it shows tendencies that this person is not right, that there's something wrong in their heart and their mind as they hurt an animal. And even Jesus said that, hey, you would get your animal out of a ditch on the Sabbath, so why is it wrong to heal someone on the Sabbath? It's not. And that even the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel, that a wicked person is not tender, as tender as they might get, it's still absolute cruelty. Verse 11, He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity was devoid of understanding. And you can see this today. That man, you people who work hard and go out and farm or ranch or work at a retail job all day to feed their family, they get a paycheck at the end of the day. They may not be rich, but they've got a satisfying meal at the end of the day, so to speak, that there's a value to hard work, that there's a value to going out and doing the right thing you have to do to make sure things get done. But this work ethic of you have to work if you want to eat, And these, uh, he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding that so many people today forget what it takes to even get a meal on your table. I mean, if the supermarket closed tomorrow, I'll be honest with you, we would go hungry. We don't know how to, we're trying to figure out how to grow vegetables, right? We got some eggs, but we don't know how to till our land. Our land's not even good for that. It's probably good for a couple of animals to have, but we couldn't grow enough food to, to eat. And so we forget the gap there. And there's this thing in food these days about farm to table and knowing where your food comes from. Some, uh, it's been parodied and joked pretty good. But we don't realize what it takes to feed millions of people. People get upset over certain conditions in farms and not that these farmers should abuse their animals, but at the same time, how else are you going to feed 9 billion people on earth? You have to grow a lot of chickens. You have to do it in a tighter space. These chickens don't need a pat on the back. They don't need all these pampering that people think because we're so disconnected from reality. We forget what it takes to live. We forget the truth of life and death. We forget the value of a life. And the problem is a lot of people today don't know that hard work is required. In fact, they're so lazy they don't want to work. A lot of people in my generation, the younger generation, the reason why there's nobody working down the restaurants is because they don't want to work. They think it should just be handed to them. Maybe the government will pay me. Maybe the government will do something. Because my parents always did it. My parents never made me do chores. My parents never made me work. How co- it's all these rich people. These rich people should share their wealth. Well, the rich people, a lot of them probably worked 80, 100-hour weeks to get their wealth. And maybe they lied, cheated, and steal along the way. But at least they did something. They weren't sitting around expecting to have a handout. And you're devoid of understanding. You follow foolish things, you're not going to get wise. 
You pursue after things that are empty and vain that are not helping your brain. It's like why we play video games, right? But then we decide not to for a while because we do that all the time. We're not going to learn the other things in life. We're not going to enjoy the outdoors. We're not going to learn how to do things with our hands. We might be really good at playing something on a computer, but it's fake. And, and I have a great job, and I love it uh, to some degree. At the same time, at the end of the day, none, none of what I make is real. <laughs> it's all on a computer. It doesn't exist. I can't drive by it. In a couple of years, it'll be overwritten by something else, by a new version of the website. And I like to do a good job, and I want to do a good job, and I want to give people good things, but it's just something different about something that's real. And if we pursue real things, we'll find reality. If we, you know, I can remember as we closed here, I can remember walking through New York City. It's a place called Times Square in the center of the city. There's a lot of advertising, a lot of lights. And you can go out there at 2 o'clock in the morning, and it's as bright as daytime. But it's all fake lights. It's all cities. There's no grass. There's no trees. You know, there's probably pigeons eating scraps and rats eating stuff. But it's so different than when you just go outside and listen to the trees. Like when you take a hike and I ask you guys to be quiet for a while, just listen. That God wants us to be in nature. Not that you can't go in the city or live in the city. But you get disconnected from reality living in the city. When you're surrounded all day long by things that other people have made, by things that people have put there just to sell you something, just to get your money, just to get your attention, just to get your vote, just to get your approval, you forget what reality is. And we see that in all these major cities in our culture today. We've forgotten what reality is. We've forgotten that God is real. We forced him out. And there's no good end to that. And we see the fruits of that coming to be. So, in fact, it's so bad that I've even seen that there are people who are scared to go outside of the cities, that don't like it, that cry. Oh, God. They panic because they're so disconnected from reality that we are made to be in this garden of earth. We are made to see the trees, hear the birds, till the soil, have a family, eat the food. And most of all, God doesn't want us to be disconnected from him. But that's when reality really starts going away, when we get disconnected from him. Like in the Garden of Eden, God said, don't eat from that. It's going to kill you. And I don't want you, I want you to have life. And Satan said, did God really say, is that really the reality of what God said? You're not going to die. That's the way it all starts. Like God it was all about disconnecting us from him. That's what Satan wants us to be disconnected from God, us to be disconnected from reality, us to be disconnected from family, us to be disconnected from friend, all these lockdowns, right? I get it in a real pandemic, but they were really pushing it. I won't go off on that soapbox, but to be disconnected from everything. Like that tree with the bad, without the roots, you're disconnected from what's good for you, disconnected from family and friends and healthy relationships. And God doesn't want us to be disconnected from that. He wants us, uh, like your verse, John 15, 5, right? That we would be connected to him and growing in him and we would bear much fruit. That we would have wise fruit, spiritual fruit, family fruit. The reason why I have all these kids is because of God. You know, someone asked me the other day, what's your theology on kids? I said, well, God said be fruitful and multiply. You look at the world today, they don't even want kids. Abortion. Not getting married, not wanting children, 
waiting too long to even just get married and realizing now you're too old to even find a spouse, let alone have kids. And there's, children are a blessing. You guys are a blessing. The world doesn't see it that way. The world's disconnected from the reality of family and of love and of faith. And God, we pray that we wouldn't be disconnected from you, that you would draw us near to you, uh, connect us to you by your spirit and by your word and most of all by your blood on the cross. And anyone who's listening, may they be uh, drawn near to you and seek the truth and be blessed in that. And no matter how foolish any of us have been, God, you're always ready and willing to forgive and reconnect us to you and to the truth. So do that, we pray. Um, we thank you for your word that there's an easy way to find you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So may God bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until.